I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and welcome back to another episode of Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about the books that they find interesting. It's been a bit of a hiatus for the last several months while I've been on summer vacation, been lining up some really great interviews with people, and I know you're going to enjoy some of the guests I'm going to have over the weeks and months ahead. This week I'm joined in the studio by Jen Dion and Sharon King Campbell. Both women are actors, directors. Sharon is a playwright. Jen is the artistic director of Persistence Theatre. They are all over the local theatre scene, but they also are all over the topic of books, and we had a wonderful wide-ranging conversation that I hope you enjoy as much as we did. As always, I started out by asking them what they've been reading lately that had left a big impression. Well, I hate to drop this, <laughs> but I actually just read your book. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I had that moment of when I went downstairs uh, last night thinking, oh, like, like I, I've had this last couple of, you know, the last couple of days when reading your book, you, returning to your story was really enjoyable. And it, that's a really great thing. Like, it's like, oh, good, it's bedtime. I can go do some more reading now. Yeah. And, of course, I've had a couple of nights where I stayed up way too late because I didn't want to, like, leave the characters. Um, but I did really enjoy... Um, there's a poignancy in uh, your characters that is, I think, always something I really look for. Any book that makes my heart ache right here mm -hmm. and uh, and brings tears to my eyes. It's an identification moment where you can feel their loneliness, you can feel their yearning, um, and I just love that about your book. And uh, uh, last night I was disappointed. And I, and I actually didn't pick another book because I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta have something else. But then I just kind of looked at my books and I was like, no, I need some time to just transition because I don't think the next book is going to be quite as satisfying. Yeah. Book grief is a real thing. It is. Sometimes it is. I yeah. can't transition from one book to another. So it's very nice to hear that my book fills that niche <laughs> for somebody. Yeah. But it's true. Sometimes I get so, and I'm so attached to these characters that I'm reading about that I just can't move on at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had that too, actually, when I was thinking about this question. I, like, I've been in grad school for about a year. Oh, wow. So I'm reading a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that isn't for like pleasure. in bed yeah, yeah. pleasure reading, you know, and um, and I think the last one that I read that left me with that book grief was mm -hmm. Water for Elephants oh, um, yeah. by Sarah, Sarah Gruen, Gruen yeah. and uh, yeah, I really missed him after mm -hmm. I finished that book. It's so such a beautiful um, way to tell a story, and it's such a gorgeous story itself. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. The last book I felt that way about was, I think it's called A Place for Us by Fatima Farhid Mirza, which is about an, um, um, I think it's Indian American immigrant family in the U.S. And it just, it just does family relationships so well that I felt so engaged with all these people and their relationships with each other. And I, I missed them all when the book was gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's really, and as an author, of course, that's what you strive for too. Well, I, maybe not everyone. I guess people strive for different things. But for me, I definitely strive to make people have that feeling that, you know, you're caught up with these characters and you'll miss them when the book is finished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But not every book achieves that. So it's, it's nice when it does. Yeah. yeah. Anything, um, Anything else that you've read, anybody's read recently, or, or that's kind of a standout for you? Uh, I went, I recently had a, a, I was on my honeymoon, and I brought several books by, like, people I know personally, mm -hmm. um, and the, like, 
hit of the honeymoon was Bridget Canning's oh, uh, Greatest yeah. Hits of Wanda Jane's. Greatest Hits yes. of Wanda Jane's, which was short hit for... Boom. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it just, I yeah. mean, it just was shortlisted for, I think, the Winter Set and the Newfoundland, Newfoundland Book, Book Awards. Awards. Yes, and, um, yeah. and, I mean, Bridget's hilarious. She is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we did a, a couple of classes together uh, last year at uh-huh. grad school, uh, and I was like, ooh, I have to get your book, so I read it, and it was, um, like... A little bit darker than the average beach reading uh-huh. experience, but pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, um, and hilarious, and you really like get under that character's skin. You know, mm-hmm. you get to um, see it's. You can see how she gets where she's going mentally, but also oh. if you're. Uh, if you are watching from the outside, you can see like that that's not the real world, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. it's kind of both unreliable narrator and like I totally get it though. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That I really liked about that book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually one that I read before it was published because I was judging a competition in which it was entered, hmm. and I was like, oh, this book is going to do really well. Oh, yeah, and it's yeah. so great to see that it is that people are yeah. you know really connecting with it because. Yeah. It's such. A, I mean, it's it is. It's a funny story, mm-hmm. but it does also have that dark edge yeah. too. Yeah, and it really explores. What if anybody could make it into a film? Oh, that's definitely. One of those. That, that yeah, seems like one that would be really a really great project for I something think, locally. To I think on. that would yeah. be a great film project. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I, I mean, Chad Pelley's Away from Everywhere, mm-hmm. has which I haven't, seen, I've I haven't seen. I haven't seen. I know. I've, I've read, read the too. book, yeah. and I remember really, really enjoying the book. Mm-hmm. And it's great uh, that there's these local stories with these strong characters yeah. that are also totally budgetarily doable here. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I, like, well, I have this can of coconut milk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it's like people always say to me, "Oh, you so much you turn your books into a movie or TV miniseries," and I'm like, "Well, historicals are actually like." I would love that too. Super but expensive. Super <laughs> expensive to make if you have a big historical saga that oh spans my generations. God. But, I'd love but, to see your last one, yeah. But Bridget's is a really tight contemporary little story that yeah, would work that really, really well, well as a film. Yeah. 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 And and such great visuals, you mm. know, that's uh, like you you're you're crying out to see that moment when she if anybody listening to this hasn't read The Greatest Hits of Wanda <laughs> Janes and you're wondering what we're talking about when we say she beans them with the can, you need to read the book. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, any other now you both mentioned local books mm. any other local books or, or things either recently out or coming up by, by local writers that you're you're excited about or interested in or just looking forward to well the list is long man. Yes, I mean to get through it is, is, is exhausting uh no, I have to, like, go way back. Like, I have to tell you, I, I, I'm just going to jump to one of your related questions. Yeah, when, sure. When you talk about, like, books from Newfoundland and yeah. also books that I want others to read, mm-hmm. I travel every year to a conference where I'm with people from around the world. And all of these people are quite fascinated from where I live, of uh-huh. course. So I, my gift that I bring to them mm-hmm. is I constantly go to the secondhand store books and I pick up as many copies of Random Passage oh, as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that Random Passage is, for me, um, the quintessential introduction um, to so much of what I feel strongly about is is the character of this province. Yes. The connectiveness yeah. we have to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, some of the struggle that still to this day I think we are marked, I think even as artists, by that sense of isolationism and we really just rise within that situation to really great to greatness you know mm-hmm. so and to great beautiful 
human uh, creation. So I love that story, and I do I give that out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's sort of my that was my you know. And yeah. when I moved here 26 years ago, it was one of the first one of the first things I read yeah. was written by here. So it's yeah. a great introduction to the province if totally. you're coming here from away. You yeah. know, I always approach it as someone who grew up here and someone who's related to the author, uh, but. Uh, it, I, I think if you're coming to Newfoundland from away, or if you haven't been here, it's a great. I think I always think of Random Passage and Michael Crumley's Galore as mm. like the sort of capital great Newfoundland novels. Yeah. Uh, but Random Passage is probably a little bit more accessible as a kind of introductory text. Right. Yeah. 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 I um, Michael Crumley's Sweetland oh, is yeah. like. I, I actually wound up, I borrowed Sweetland from the, like, the Newfoundland Public Library mm -hmm. in ebook book form, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I brought it with me on a trip to South America, and so I was reading it in, like, the Peruvian desert, oh, wow. um, which was the weirdest thing, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it was, like, just, I think it's, uh, it's all of the resettlement like pain mm -hmm. is kind of condensed into this like beautiful cold novel yes, that, like it yeah. was it was so captivating that I almost didn't notice that it was like 40 degrees where I was and, <laughs> oh wow uh, yeah, it was, like it was it was gorgeous um and it's the it's the piece that I recommend to people who are like what's yeah, Sweetland. Yeah, that's yeah, another good that's one. Yeah, Sweetland. Okay, good. Well, because I haven't read that yet. Yeah, oh, so I'm, I'm definitely going to go and get yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. It is powerful. Yeah, yeah. he's he's awful good. He is. Michael he is Crummy. awful good. That Michael awful Crummy. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's uh, he really is one of our he's one of our national treasures. He really yeah. is. Yeah. Um, thinking back, you were saying that the question um, resonated with you, Jen, about books that uh, that had an impact, or maybe it was you were saying, Shay. So what one of you was saying before we started that the question about books that had an impact on you, um, you know, throughout your life or when you were younger, uh, was was one that uh, that kind of snagged your attention. What are the books that you think of as having been? I don't know, kind of like your foundational texts or whatever. I have an easy answer for this one. What's your easy answer? It's the Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, Norton that's Juster. so great! I Norton Juster is yeah. his name, and it has it. illustrations. Oh, I looked this yeah. up before I came here. It has illustrations by Jules Pfeiffer, which yeah. totally are like they impact. Yeah, the, you can't imagine the, the text without the yeah. illustrations. And uh, it's just so good. It's so good that. Um, after I read it, I was working for Zeta Cobb with the Shorefast Foundation at the time, mm -hmm. and I made her read it. Uh -huh. And then she bought, I think she bought St. John's Chapters out of copies uh -huh. and just distributed them to people that she liked. That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. Because it, it's such a it's such a good book. It's um it's like childhood fantasy. It's almost Narnia, but it's. Um, so hopeful. It's I like have to find this book. Oh, oh it's, yeah. so, it's gorgeous. And it's also very um, language-based. Like, yeah. it's so full of wordplay yeah. and puns and just... It makes you feel clever. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, it does. I think it actually might, might make you smarter. I didn't read it as a child. I read it as an adult yeah. and wished I had read it as a child. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, yeah. you gotta got to check out The Phantom Tollbooth. That is uh, that is a great book. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. And it, I read it whenever I can, although I loaned my copy to someone and it's gone that now. That happened to I need to replace it. Yeah. You know what needs to come back? Book plates. Remember those wonderful, yes. beautiful things you could buy that yeah. this book belongs to? Yeah. Yeah. And then the person yeah. who borrowed your book would at least know what to feel guilty about. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to bring those back. Bring back book plates for yeah. sure. What about you, Jen? What are what are like foundational texts for you? Well, I guess when I think of foundational texts are things that okay, well when I think back to my childhood, what book 
did I end up destroying because it just <laughs> fell apart. I read it so much. And the first one I think about is uh, Dallaire's Greek Myths. Uh, oh, okay. That beautiful, and it's still being published in, in, and I would, I remember I would read the myths over and over again, and I was fascinated with that, and until that book fell apart. Wow. Um, and, you know, there are books that, like, I have this weird little science fiction book called The Vandarian Incident that I got through Scholastic, <laughs> and I oh, read it, right? Affairs. And then I was like, but for some reason, that book, it's like about some guy who's in the desert, and he has to survive a test, and he meets an alien, and it's just this little book, but I'm like, I'm still looking for it. Like, uh -huh. I still want to get that book back. Mm -hmm. um, but as I grew older there I, I looked at, when I talk about foundational texts those are ones that I leave on my bookshelf and I return to like mm -hmm. books I can return and read again and again so this would be post youth certainly but when I discovered um, Chaim Potok's uh, The Chosen oh, and yes. The Promise oh yeah those are two books that the, the stories uh, those stories of Reuben and uh uh, and his and Danny have stayed with me. Mm. I love returning to those stories. Um, uh, a book called J.R. from J.R. Salamanca called Lilith about a woman in an institution oh. in uh, who has mental illness and uh -huh. their relationship. Um, weird little Alexandra Ripley's The Time Returns, which was set in Florentine, Italy. Okay. And I love naming books from authors who may... This may have been their one-off novel. Yeah, like, yeah. if they're out there listening, they'll be like, somebody read somebody my book! <laughs> yeah, but I keep those books on my shelf and return to them again and again. Um, uh, what else is foundational up there? I'd say Exodus by Leon Uris is up there. Um, the Source. Uh, the Source. Is that Minchner? I don't know. Uh, it might be. I yeah, yeah. Like that's the one where they talk about how they uncover. They go through um, this tell in this hill in um, in Israel, and as you, as the archaeologists uncover layer after layer, the book takes you back to those time periods and time. That sounds incredibly like either Michener or mm -hmm. uh, is it Rutherford who did like? Oh, it's definitely it, not Rutherford, but okay, I think but it's you Michener. Know he does that yeah. type of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are the kinds of like the odd, quirky ones that are all together on my shelf that stay there. And then my shelves are um, like favorite authors. It is so, Mishner, by the way. It is Mishner, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you want to go on to fav favorite authors, then yeah. I'll tell you about those other okay. shelves. Okay, yeah. but that's interesting. Now, I have to go back and ask, because you mentioned Han Potok, and not yeah. everybody has read him, although he went through like a wave of popularity, I think. Did you read My Name is Asher Lev? I might have. About the painter but from the Hasidic community? No, probably okay. I haven't then. Yeah. That is mm. one of my life foundational texts. That's okay. one that I read when I was in college. And I, I had read The Chosen, and I felt like everybody around me read The Chosen. Mm. But I was, uh, well, I was studying English and hoping to be a writer, but a lot of my friends were art majors in a fairly conservative uh, Christian college that I went to. And so that whole question of... How do you balance your faith, your community, and your art? Yeah. Where knowing that your was art was very resonant. Yes, yes. knowing that yep. your art is probably going to do things that your community is going to find transgressive and inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Everybody that I was friends with at college read "My Name Is Asher Lev" obsessively, and okay, uh, great. Yeah, Hypodoc oh, is so good. He's he so is. Good. Yeah, it's just wonderful. He does a great job of writing. What you know, a lot of authors <gasps> I feel like don't do well. Oh, you had a thought. Can we hold it? Yep, I'm okay. holding it. Go. No, it's what a lot of authors don't do well when they write about religious. Communities, especially kind of enclosed ones, I find is either they write very dismissively, mm -hmm. these people are crazy yeah. and abusive, or they write sort of um, 
uh, too admiringly, you know, what a wonderful community this. But he really gets both sides of it, how it can be both. It can be both very restrictive, mm-hmm. but also very meaningful for some of the people in it. So I, I just love what he does with writing about the Hasidic community. What was the thing you thought? Which you said? completely reminded me of my other foundational, because you know how Facebook had this thing, name your 10 books? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah so yeah. like I have been through this fairly recently, mm-hmm. and my number one book, my number one foundational book, is uh, Bryce Courtney's The One, okay. which very similarly Oh, you haven't read it. No, I haven't read it. I oh don't my know god, it that is one of my like. Oh. That's my evangelical. You must read this book. Oh, book. Okay. It is the most beautiful story I've ever read. And Chaim wow. Potok on crack. Like wow. Bryce Courtney's the one is set in South Africa. You'll never cry so hard over a chicken in your whole life. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. honestly, I, I haven't cried that hard over a chicken yet. So. So, okay. Not yeah. a high bar, but if the <laughs> yeah. okay. bar is high. Let me leave. You have finished my shelf. Over to Sharon. <laughs> okay. Um, what about you? Beyond the Phantom Tollbooth, are there oh, other books that have been, uh, or authors that have been really... Uh, I read everything Laura Ingalls Wilder ever wrote oh, when I was yeah. a uh, like, early teenager. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I loved them, and uh, at one point I remember being at my aunt's cottage, and my cousin was like, Sharon, come swimming. Sharon, like... Like, let's go outside. Like, Sharon, let's go to the fort. And I was like, I'm reading a book. (laughs) And eventually my parents were like, Sharon, it is the summer. And (laughs) you are supposed to put down the book now and go hang out with your family. Um, But yeah, they're like, I just consumed them. I loved them. I also read um, in early high school, and I go back to these all the time. They're my happy place. Tanya Huff. Um, who is most famous for vampire novels, Mm -hmm. Uh, she wrote uh, a couple of books um, called Summon the Keeper and Mm -hmm. The Second Summoning, which are about this this woman who is in charge of sewing up the holes in the universe created by bad acts. Oh wow! So the concept is that it's 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 like real magic magic realism. So the the concept is that. When someone does something very bad, it pokes a hole in the fabric of the universe and bad energy comes out through the hole. Uh-huh. And then it, more bad things happen in a uh-huh. domino effect. And that happens for good things too, but we're not worried about that. Right, yeah. More good things happen. Um, but it's her job to, to sew closed, basically, the, the fabric of the universe. And she shows up at this like dilapidated B&B in Kingston, Ontario, and there's a hole to hell in the basement. <laughs> And, like, what did they do? Uh, well, <laughs> okay. you'll have to read, we'll the, book read the book to find book. out. Um, but I love them. They are hilarious and also touching. Mm-hmm. And uh, a warning to Newfoundlanders who are listening to this, there is a, a very charming Newfoundland character in it, and she get, she makes one mistake about what the dialect means, uh, So and it will yeah. throw you. It will, okay. it will, yeah. it will, it will bother you. Newfoundland. It didn't bother me when I was in high school reading it in Ontario, right. but yeah. now that I'm here, I read it, it again, and I'm like, oh no, you were wrong about what that means. Can we have but a book swap? Can we just yeah. get together and, and like, because you have to read the one. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. And I yeah. really like to that one you the Phantom Toll Booth. Yes. So. Oh yeah. Just like we're yeah. gonna swap games. Or we're yeah. Gonna swap yeah. Books. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if people emerge from this podcast, either people who are on the podcast or listening to it with just I have to read that book. That's mm. all I strive for. Really, yeah. is to get people excited about a book they haven't read yet. Totally. So you both kind of mentioned, but I don't know if you have any others in this category. Um, books that you wish you could get other people to read. You know, the book yeah. that you that you try to press on people. And you said you... Of course the you, one. Yeah, the yeah. one. Yeah. Any others? I think everyone who likes books should read The Air Affair. 
Oh yes, I love Jasper Ford so much. I like The Air Affair was the book that I made my husband read when we first started dating. Uh, it was like <laughs> this I, is a test. I found like it, <laughs> and my my um, my excellent book loving but dyslexic husband uh-huh. made it all the way through. Oh. <laughs> it was like in a textbook because he does audiobooks. Yeah, yeah. Um, comfort mostly, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of my favorite books and there's a whole series if you yes, fall in yeah. love with Tuesday. I've read Tuesday. the whole series, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I just, I love it. It's so, like, it's again, it's one of those books that makes you feel clever. Yes. But it doesn't really matter if you don't know the literary references that he's making. Yeah, it helps if you do, yeah. but you can still enjoy the story if you don't. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, have you read, have you read this? You read it Jasper Ford, Jen? Oh, yeah, that's totally, definitely yeah. somebody. And what I love about them Are is, you going to annotate this podcast? Oh, I always, like, you're, you're all oh, annotating. Okay, yeah, great. There's a, there's a blog where I listen. And I got my checklist. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, Yes, folks, check out the blog. Go to my website, TrinityMorganCole.com. Click on the Shelf Esteem link. All the books we talk about are listed there. And I usually provide links. Shelf Esteem. So Uh clever. Love it. Um, So, yeah, um, the Jasper Ford books. One thing I love about them, there's so many things to love. I know. But it's a... it's like a parallel world to ours, like it's our world but slightly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, one mm-hmm. of the things that's different is that in this world, in his in his present time that he writes about, people are as obsessed about books as say we are about sports in our yeah. culture. So like it's a it's a huge thing if you know a, a new oh, edition is discovered cool. of a book or whatever. And I just love the way books are so important and so central to that world, even before yeah. you get into the whole thing about being able to actually travel into books and change the stories, which is yeah, it's amazing. He's such a brilliant... What has he done lately? I don't know. I've, because there was a while when I had read everything that Jasper Ford had produced, and then it seemed like he kind of hadn't done anything for a while, and I don't know if it was he took a break from writing, or maybe I got distracted, and maybe there are new Jasper Ford books out that I haven't read. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I felt bad for him because he wrote a really good book called Shades of Grey, and it came out like two years before Fifty Shades oh, of Grey. No. Like now, anytime uh, anyone looks for this really uh, inventive Jasper Ford fantasy they're gonna novel, come up they're going to come that. across Fifty Shades of Grey. That's instead. such a shame. Damn it! Is. Yeah. Uh, oh my! Oh man! So those are yeah books books that everyone should read or books that you press on people. Um, what about, but one of the questions I ask people, and I never, never know, some people are like, no, I cannot answer that question, but if you could live in the world of a book, like if you could slip into the world of a book and live there, is there one? Game of Thrones. No. No, no. Uh, not Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> not as a woman, anyway. <laughs> well, not as anyone. No, really not think. as anyone. It's terrible things happen yeah. in those um, books, too. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm really, I mean, probably you can tell from my yeah. uh, track of books, but I'm really into the, the worlds that are, like, basically our world, but with magic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Harry Potter, yeah. like, that kind of stuff is, like, really... I, I got a world that. for you, too. Well, exactly. This is, I have a similar... Um, uh, Sharon Shin's um, good name. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I've read everything she's ever written. First of all, um, and I think of her worlds that she's introduced me to. I think it's the first one. Um, uh, forget the name of it, but it's Earth essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's Earth um, lives in a very tribalistic, feudalistic society. Uh, uh, but there's st- it's more like the Renaissance kind of thing. Okay. So Renaissance, like city-states. So Sharon Shin's Archangel was the first one I read. And there's a whole bunch of them that are set in that world, which is governed by um, angels. And there's three kind of sects of angels. And 
they have to sing in order to prove to the god, which in a couple books later is revealed as something else, which I won't say, <laughs> but uh, they the, the all the tribes have to come together and gather on this plane and sing. They have to sing these masses or these, 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 these beautiful works. And choral music has always affected me. And anyway, so, you know, it's really hard to tell this on a podcast because there is, are some books yeah. that are so personal that this would not be a book that I would say I would recommend everyone to read. Right, yeah. Um, but if I if I was to choose a world to live in, it would be very much like mm-hmm. Sharon, something that has an aspect of the magical and the divine that lifts us a little bit beyond yeah. who we are and to know that there is something else mm. in the world. Like we, in the reality world we live in, mm. I feel very much that way. Mm-hmm. But there's no real tangible, like... Yeah. Proof. yeah, we, we don't, don't get to see people. We don't, yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't. We we don't see the wands. We yeah. don't see the angels. You know that kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, I think I would want to live in a in one of the worlds, which uh, many many novels I've read are have that mark to yeah. them, that just give you a bit more of an accepted otherworldness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of world uh, fantasy worlds that are like ours, but with a slight twist. Have either of you read Guy Gavriel Kay? That yeah. is the other person. Sharon Shin, everything by yes. Sharon Shin, and everything by Guy Gavriel Kay yes. are on my shelves. Yeah. And the only reason why I'm going to go to Sharon Shin's world instead of one of Guy Gavriel Kay's worlds is that it's much more gender balanced in yes, Sharon Shin's. Yeah. Like they, uh, I find Guy Gavriel Kay is fantastic, mm-hmm. but most of them are still patriarchies. That's true, yeah. yeah. Although I do find that as male authors go, he does write great female characters. He does. Yeah, yes. no, we'll yeah. give him yeah. that. But we yeah. will give him that. But yeah, it's his, his worlds are generally still very patriarchal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, those I, female all, characters have to like struggle. Yes, they the have. Yeah, right? yeah. And all of Sharon Shin's novels, I have to say, women um, are uh, in very power. It's a gender balance. They're not matriarchies per se, but more gender. But it's a very gender balanced okay, power. Yeah. I will definitely check hers out because if they're anything like. Guy Gavriel Kay's, but with like more. Well, there are the two. Yeah. That yeah. the one shelf is my Guy Gavriel Kay and Sharon Shin shelf. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's what my fantasy shelf is basically. My Guy Gavriel Kay and my Robin Hobb shelf. Robin Hobb is another fantasy writer. I'm always recommending to people. Oh, Robin Hobb. Hobb. H O B B. She also she's one of these writers who writes under a few different names. Okay. Uh, she also writes as Megan Lindholm, and one of them might even be her real name. But Robin Hobb is the series, and she is a a really great and beautifully richly developed fantasy world. And some really interesting stuff she does with gender in those books, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm never sure, though, about living in the world of a fantasy novel because a lot of bad stuff happens to people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. One of the big recommendations for living in the angel world uh-huh. is, like, they mate with mortals. So they're, like, you know, they're hot. Oh, okay. So let's get around. They're hot, hot angels. Hot, yeah. hot right. singing right. angels. <laughs> so, like, come on. I feel like you've sold a lot of people on these books in that brief endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> Full of hot singing angels. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, so that's that's you're talking about like your shelves and the authors. Are there any authors that other authors that are like you know have that kind of pride of place on your shelves? Like you have oh, to have everything. Jane Urquhart. Oh, oh I love her. yeah. I love oh. her. I read a lot of her. I read well. I read everything she had out at the time when I was in high school, and I am still like. Last week, I I cleaned my office. It was a, a very long overdue clean, and I discovered that like. 
Three months ago, Sharon had bought a Jane Urquhart novel. <laughs> she, hasn't <read> it. <laughs> she hasn't read it oh, yet because she's been in grad school. Yeah. And um, and so uh, I was like, oh, excellent. And I put it like right next to my bed. Uh-huh. And when I'm done my thesis, oh. maybe I'll get to read it. But um, but yeah, I love I love her. Right. I love the how she next to our beds. Right? <laughs> yeah, I like. Yeah. Um, I but I uh, I love how she like intertwines storylines and mm-hmm. and I mean that's actually hugely influential over my own writing. So it's right. yeah. Do you have a favorite of hers or I? I think I like Changing Heaven best, okay. which is early, early. Yeah. It's um she's writing about one of the Brontes. One of the Brontes. I feel like I've read this book yeah. but so long right. ago um, that I've kind of forgotten it. Yeah, and then there's a... Because I did go through a phase of reading everything about the Brontes. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I think it's Emily mm-hmm. uh, Bronte. And then um, there's a like contemporary Canadian storyline right. that, yeah. that mm-hmm. twists around it. And it's... Mm-hmm. Um, Totally gorgeous. I should go back and check that out and yeah. see. Either reread it if I really did, or read it if I didn't. Yeah. There was a point where Lynn Reed Banks um, wrote two books, not fiction, nonfiction, about the about the Brontes. Oh, right. Dark Quartet about the four of them, and then Path to the Silent Country, which is basically about Charlotte after everyone else is dead. Yeah. Uh, and they're really just so you know haunting and, and poignant. They really stayed with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be the time that I can drop my bombshell. Drop your All bombshell. Right. You talked about. Pride of Place and yes. talked about favorite authors. I have an entire bookshelf of <gasps> historical romance fiction. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> no, I'm going to proudly say it. There is no shame. Yeah. I've had romance writers on this podcast All right. talking yeah. about romance. Okay. I mean, Who's your fave? Mary Ballow. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mary Ballow with a bullet. Her <laughs> and Stephanie Lawrence are the ones that... I have every book... Well, I'm trying to have every book that Mary Ballow ever wrote. But um, they a lot of these authors, when they write in series uh, of families, so, like, you'll get one brother, one son, the father, oh, like, yeah. and, and then they'll tell their stories. And I just love that Mary Ballow... Okay, first of all, I love, his, I love well-written historical romance fiction mm-hmm. because... Um, um, it is good writing. Yeah, I mean, if you can find good yeah. writing. And it's so well-researched. Yes. Right. They yeah. are. These people are just, I mean, well, when you look at Kate Robbins. Yes. You know, like, yeah. who does it here? Yeah. And, uh, she's, I mean, the research they put into them is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You really enter the world. And they're all written by women. So for the most part, the heroines are kick-ass. Yeah, you yeah, know, true. like, yeah. we're in the Regency era, but these are women who are struggling through what I would term universal stories. I oh, mean, yeah. whether they're, I mean, oh, we yeah. all suffer some sort of suppression of self. Yep. And to overcome that, and in a way that when you find a partner who unlocks so much um, sexual awareness, I mean, there is, there's such a, I think sex is such a... Um, uh, a complex and very deep topic when you mm. put it into books. I, I I love how it's when it's dealt with seriously and in historical romances, you, you know, the sex scenes are pretty long, right? Yeah. It's not erotica necessarily, um, although that has a place too, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that there is something about the storytelling and the release of the human heart that when expressed in a sex scene is just as valid as anything else, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, books are there to make us feel, and uh, historical romance always has a place in my life. Totally. On that topic, 
Outlander. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, hello. When it said the, uh, when you ever, have you ever fallen in love with a character? Say it with me. Jamie, Jamie Fraser. <laughs> Jamie yeah. Fraser. There's, everyone. Oh my God, there's a lot of Jamie Fraser love on this yeah, podcast. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, and like, yeah, that was my. I read Outlander at the recommendation of a friend again in high school. I um, uh, I read the first four, which were all that was out at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and I have read all of that series since um, of and a couple of the spin-offs and um, and I love them I love them um, but my like definitely like I was young enough when I read Outlander that that was like my guide to what <laughs> sex could be yeah um, and it was although I must tell you it's shelved in the novel section not the historical romance that's section. true okay it's, just, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like but, historical yeah. fantasy romance even, it is right? yeah exactly yeah. Of course, time, time travel yeah. in it yeah um, but yeah it was uh, that was like hugely foundational should have been on my foundational texts yeah, list. Yeah, really. absolutely. It's interesting about uh, about historical because I tend to be not a big, a big reader of historical fiction, less of a reader of anything labeled romance and only because I've had the misfortune to read a few romances that were just very formulaic and yes. it's like, yes. oh yeah, you're just filling in the blanks A, B, and C and I can see exactly where this is going. But I, I have made a challenge for myself within the last year or so to read... Um, books by more diverse authors and and about more diverse subjects and of course because I love historical fiction I ran across this article of like if you want to read about strong historical women but you ju- don't want to read just like say the British Isles yeah, yeah. Um, and I fell into this series that I'm reading now what's well, it a duology, so I guess it's just two mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the writer is Wayna Day Randall, and the first one, the one I'm just finishing, is called The Moon in the Palace, and it's about um, a real character, Empress Wu, this seventh-century mm-hmm. Chinese woman who yeah. was, yeah, you've yeah. heard of her. Yeah. I had not heard of her even before I started reading these books. I was like, this is amazing, and there's and, and this it's obviously considered romance because it won a Rita Award. Okay, great. Um, but it's great, you know. And I'm like, okay, you know, I need to. I think a lot of with reading is getting past your prejudices and yeah. you know just because I've read a couple of bad romance novels doesn't mean there aren't great ones yeah. out there it's and, more yeah. about the uh, for me the authors I won't yes. read anything yes, like exactly. I don't go and like, just pick up any romance yeah, right because you're the, right it can really turn you yes yeah. yeah but you know the authors you like and can trust to deliver a good story yeah, yeah. yeah. but it is I mean the there's a lot more interesting historical writing being done out of out of all kinds of backgrounds, not just the sort of, you know, British yeah. lords and ladies kind of thing. And that's why I was so happy to discover this Moon and Bright Palace one, which is really good. The only thing with historical fiction based on real characters is if they're people I haven't heard of, I keep Wikipediaing the plot ahead of myself. Yeah, like, I know. Make gonna, sure. Is it gonna... Is yeah. she gonna end up married to this guy or is he gonna end up dead? Okay, Wikipedia, how about you tell me? <laughs> Well, there's a website for movies called Does the Dog Die? Oh, Does the Dog oh. Die? So, yeah, like, there should be website. a website for books saying, yeah. you know, does, does the animal die? Yeah. Or does, <laughs> does the hot guy die? Does 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 a, yeah. So, so, what happens with this chicken? Yeah. I, I gotta, real, I, just, just please trust me, because really, everybody I've given this book to, it has become one of their favorite books. Cool. So, oh, yeah. yeah. We will trust her that. We'll put, yeah. when that, when I put the, the blog up, we'll put a little star next to uh, Really do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, possible chicken content warning. Yeah. I actually have a, there's an episode of this podcast uh, called, uh, with, I think it was Terry Doyle and Susan T- Susie Taylor, we do not want anything 
bad to happen to the dog. Yes. Uh, because we talked about like how for two out of the three of us, that was a real deal breaker for us. If totally. something, if an animal is abused or something terrible happens, it really resonates with our yeah. enjoyment of, of a book. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about um, you know women and women. I mean, yeah. we're all. I mean, we're united here today yeah, because of our feminism. And yeah. um, I'm wondering, is there a uh, like a site that kind of is um, like the Bichelle test for books. Yes, yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm just thinking about that, because you're right. Like, I wouldn't want to go into a book if, uh, like, for instance, going back to erotica, right? Yes, and yeah. this whole Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff like that. I mean, I think to apply a feminist lens to things like that would be really helpful for me. Yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, because I do want to read about, like, sex and romance and yep. stuff but there's a point when it's when it's uh you know it, it has to be through a feminist mm-hmm. mindset yeah yeah for yes. me to actually be able to lose myself in a book mm-hmm. right otherwise i'm turned off and totally. it's, that's it i mean my my very brief experience with 50 shades of gray was like i mean i don't love the writing um like the actual quality of the writing but also i as a sex positive feminist with a little bit of like BDSM in my own life. Right. I am like, that is not how it's done. That's not it. Right, right, yeah. right. And so it's it bothers me because it's this vastly popular book where the author did not do her research or chose yeah. to ignore the, yeah. the truth of it. May not and so cared it's, about it. Doing yeah. research or yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. accurate, yeah. I imagine. And uh, and so that that was kind of what that was like hardline, not reading anything else by her because yeah. I just couldn't that it see it feels irresponsible in the same way that putting out like a television show that um, that like shows sixteen year old smoking and doesn't handle it feels yeah. irresponsible if it's going to be like vastly yeah. disseminated yeah. to like preteens. Yeah, right. I have to say I would love I would love if, if if one of our listeners is out there and would like to start that sort of initiative. Yeah. <laughs> or if it exists and you yeah, want to tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, tell like, us about it. Yeah. Know, reviewing review not even reviewing, but just like rating from a feminist lens. Like, right. And and a quick rating. Like yeah, not quick I mean rating, obviously yeah. a lot of feminist magazines do yeah. re- book reviews. Yeah, but that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm looking for a rating system. Yeah, and I think yeah. also it's really it's difficult to do well with historical fiction because a lot of historical fiction writers, particularly not great ones Mm. Um, do that thing where your heroine is a feisty, strong-willed lass who is basically just a 21st century woman put into petticoats and dropped yeah. into... She's not true to the world she lives in. Yeah. And I think what's so much more interesting is writers who can create a woman who is true to the world that she supposedly lives in and, and has grown up with the assumptions of that world and yet is still someone that, as a fan... Yearns for more. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. well, that's like Jane Austen's novel. Yes. Exactly. I think very yeah. much she yeah. does yeah. a very, very good job. And, of course, Jane could do it because she was actually writing... Yeah. She that was, time, she and was she was that actually person. that person. She was yeah. that person, yeah. yeah. But for for a twenty first century writer to go back and write that and not impose our twentieth twenty first century values, mm. uh, but still write a woman character that That's a, a feminist can get behind. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of an ongoing obsession with yeah. historical fiction writers. So it's something I've thought a lot about. I think Mary Ballow does a great job. Canadian, yeah. by the way. Oh, hmm. yeah. is there a specific Mary Ballow book that you would recommend? Like if somebody wanted to get into her or start with her? Uh, yes, I would like. Uh, you to have your heart broken over the um oh the series all about the, the there's a se- well it's series you got to start you know most yeah. of them are series um and there's one where they're all recovering 
from wounds, uh, either psychological or physical, after the war, after like the Battle of Waterloo. Oh, okay. And it's kind of like a recovery home, and the series is about all of their, how they end up rediscovering love and opportunities. Although she also does one about uh, the impoverished women who end up as teachers as mi- at Miss Martin's school, and all of those are fantastic. Oh, this sounds uh, great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're, like, this is what I mean. They're really, they're great. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, this is straying a little away from the questions I pre-asked, but sometimes when, when people I have on the, the podcast have a commonality, I want to ask you, so, so both of you I think of as theater people, mm-hmm. and that's where I know both of you from. Mm-hmm. So what Makes I want to know is, as theater people, do you read plays? Like, do you sit down and, and read a play the way I would read a novel? Yep. Yeah? Yeah, whenever I can. Um, it, there's a, a total dearth in of like access to printed plays. I wondered about at, that. Yeah. Uh, at chapters, uh-huh. if you're listening, people <laughs> who order books for chapters. Um, and uh, and there are a couple at uh, our independent bookstore, Broken uh-huh. Books. Um, they're all Yay, local. Broken books. We love you, Matt. Um, they're, uh, they're great, great plays. They are mostly local, so I... Um, I have either seen them or read them already, um, and so I. Whenever I'm um, away, I uh, grew up in Ottawa, so I'm mm-hmm. often there. I will go to that chapters uh-huh. um, and just see what I can pick up. Um, or do you ever order? Just, do you ever cruise through DPS? Not very often. I don't. I don't. I'll go there if I want to look. DPS. Uh, Jen is talking about the Dramatist Playwright Service, yeah, okay. which it publishes a lot of mm-hmm. plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Uh, I'll go there if I. If there's a a text I have found out about that I want to read, but I don't... Because they have some really great catalogs. Like, once you get in there, um, what Dave and I do is we just kind of read through the synopses and Mm. then start ordering plays that we sound interesting, right? Because otherwise I wouldn't get exposed to them. And the other place I go to is the New Play Exchange. Yes, uh, you told me about the New Play Exchange. Yeah, which is fantastic. But I wouldn't say that I read books for pleasure, or sorry, read plays for pleasure. Like, I... Some are very pleasurable, right. but it's very much a. Um, it's a professional. It's a professional. Like it's task. like it's like studying for grad like school. Part you know, of like and, and you read plays with an eye too. Is this something I want to? Right. Pre- exactly. Pre- like yeah. very rarely do I just pick up a play for pleasure. Yeah. Um, but uh, hilariously. Um, Robert Chaves' Oil and Water is one oh. that I actually send out <clears throat> to people off the island because I really think that that is one of the most. Uh, producible plays, especially for American theater companies. I have yes. a lot of friends in America yeah. and I'm like, dude, read this play. You gotta do it, right? Yeah. Like, it's so I great. I've never seen Oil and Water. <gasps> Every time it's been playing, it's been like at a time or place when I couldn't go see yeah. it. I really want well, to see Well, that actually, so uh, well, maybe, I don't know because I've seen it, so I don't know, yeah. but the play, the written, the, the book is, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Like, so yeah. that, that, that's really great. And I read, I just last night actually reread uh, his Tempting Providence and oh. that also lives oh, tempting, above. beautiful. I teach Tempting Providence yeah, yeah. So like, so that, so that text also lives. So it's not every play that um, translates mm-hmm. well in mm-hmm. the written. Yeah, you know, to be quite honest. Yeah. And well, um, it, yeah, it really depends on, I guess, the era of publication and right. also the the playwright, um, because some playwrights are very uh, dependent on what's happening on stage or on the the um, actor's skill. Yeah. Uh, and it means they they can create beautiful plays, but they don't necessarily read well if you can't mm-hmm. picture it. Uh, but Robert's 
texts are so well put together. Like, yeah, that they're really very readable. Beautiful. And but, I mean, if you're reading Tennessee Williams, you're going to read a whole page of what the set looked like. At the right, first and you have to take some right? time mentally. To, like, you can't just kind of consume it. You need to picture it, it yeah. right? Yeah. Um, there's more imagination involved than in... I also like reading uh, books uh, surrounding uh, my favorite playwrights. Oh, so, yeah. of course... I'll <laughs> uh, so, uh, read a lot of Shakespeare-related books. Uh-huh. Uh, the Year of Lear. Uh, oh, I read The Year of Lear. Yeah, yeah really great. enjoyed that. Um, and also, I read um, The Millionaire and the Bard, which is about uh, the guy at Folger, the guy oh, who created okay. the Folger Library. And uh, that's a fascinating story about first folios and how, he, and also his life, and just it was awesome. Um, and uh, and I just realized, like, I also have. Uh, playwright-related fiction that I actually have this book club with all my Shakespeare nerd friends okay. around the world, uh-huh. and like so when we all met at the conference last year, we had all read uh, Station Eleven by Emily Mandel, yeah. which okay. is again one of my with a bullet recommendations, mm-hmm. one of the best books I've ever read. So, oh, really? But that's kind of like it's about a post-apocalyptic, yes, traveling um, uh, company that does uh, Shakespeare because it's a world without electricity, so they go around with horses and a little tent, and it turns out that Shakespeare, people don't want to hear stories that are, like, from 20 years ago from their modern life. Mm. The universal stories are the ones that retain. I've got a question about this book, because I saw it promoted a lot when it came out. Sounds fascinating concept. I have a lot of trouble with um, dystopia, post-apocalyptic fiction, especially now, because it just feels too real. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like... Is this book going to make me filled with despair? Yes. Or, okay. 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 I, I'm probably, sorry. probably. Well, actually, yes and no. Like, I, I think. No, I think you like because I, I Jones on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I and Jones I, like, on. I'll that. tell you how low my bar is. Yeah. I have trouble with with the movie Wally. Like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, forget it. No. Okay, don't okay, go near this one. <laughs> Basically, the world comes to a crashing halt shortly after a production of King Lear in Toronto, <laughs> See, and it's here, and it's set in Canada. Okay. So you're going to be yeah. That part sounds fascinating, but the world coming to a crashing halt. I'm not. But you would love it. I want to read it. You would love it. And it's actually not, it's also a quick read. Yeah. So it's a great read and a quick read. Mm. I might squeeze it in. I think you can. <laughs> Between squeeze like it. women working in factories during World War One. I. I feel like we should just oh, go to our houses after this like, podcast and trade books. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, are you, is women working in factories during World War One? Is oh, that that's my thesis. Pro- that's your thesis, is subject, it? Okay. Yeah, I'm writing a play uh-huh. as um, my creative thesis. Uh-huh. One lets you do that when oh, you're doing it in English. Yeah. Um, I'm writing a play and it's about munitions workers in mm-hmm. a Toronto factory during the First World War, um, which is really interesting. I've only just started the research, uh-huh. um, but it's interesting because there's lots of information about munitions workers in World War One from the UK and America, mm-hmm. and there's lots of stories about women working in munitions factories during World War Two in uh-huh. Canada, but I can't find any kind of focused work yeah. on munitions workers in... Um, in World War One in Canada, mm-hmm. so I'm uh, I'm just kind of pulling from various sources, and yeah, yeah it's very interesting. I, I feel your pain. It's, yeah. it's terrible when you go to research something and you realize nobody has bothered to do this piece of no research. One has done like, it yet. Yeah. Nobody's I, written anything about <laughs> corner stores in the center of St. John's from yeah. the 1930s. Found, to the oh God, shut up! I'm yeah. so I want to like leave here and go to Hallways. Like you know, <laughs> I know. I'm going to drive around. But and be it's like, like where I thought Holloway's. I went into yeah. the Center for Newfoundland Studies thinking surely somebody has done a master's thesis on this topic yeah. or something, and it isn't there. there so is, you got to you know. There is a dissertation from one of the Prairie Province. I remember finding uh-huh. that I was like, oh, good, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, where okay. it was, it wasn't even her full topic, but it was a like a chapter yeah. about mm-hmm. that. And I was like, 
that'll yes, help. Yeah, yeah. When, when I was writing by the rivers in Brooklyn, somebody at Monadon, I don't think it was even a master's thesis, it might have been an undergraduate paper, interviewing six Newfoundland women who had worked as domestic servants in New York in the 1920s. Oh, and I was wow. like, thank Yay. you, unknown student from long ago who recorded these interviews. That's amazing. Hope yeah. for grad students everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna make some novelists or playwrights life. Uh, you yeah. know, your your little piece of research is gonna be exactly the piece someone needs to fit into their puzzle at some point. It's true. Um, I want to ask both of you now, we're recording this on the 9th of September. Mm -hmm. It's probably going to go out a little later in September. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know both of you as uh, theater people, playwrights, actors, theater managers. Oh, do we get to promote shit you now? Can, you can. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. What, what, okay. Have you, what have you got coming up that we should be excited about? Well, probably on this very day, then, <laughs> will be the wonderful show Life Sucks by Aaron Posner, which is actually a really hilarious modern comedy based on Uncle Vaughn, or inspired by Uncle Vanya, cool. sort of inspired, sort of adapted from Uncle Vanya, as so many plays are. Uh, but uh, this is going up at the Basement Theatre from the 26th to the 30th. Okay. Uh, I am directing it, mm -hmm. uh, and it is starring uh, Dave Walsh, my husband, mm -hmm. thus the name of the company, Dion Walsh Productions. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. No hiding <laughs> the nepotism there. But we've also got uh, Chuck Harriet, um, George Robertson, Marie Jones, mm -hmm. Michelle Lambert, Susan Bonnell, and the wonderful Stephanie Curran. Star-studded star cast. It is, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a play about life and longing and how fucked up the world is. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so. Um, about a month after that, the 25th to the 28th of October, uh, we're doing a premiere production of The Stars Are Always Brighter When the Lights Go Out by Timothy Matson, mm -hmm. uh, which I am directing. It's produced by Best Kind Productions. Um, brand new play, totally gorgeous. Awesome. I was uh, fortunate enough to do some dramaturgy in an earlier draft. Where's that going up? At, at the Barbara Barrett. Oh, great. Yep, the 25th to 28th and of October mm -hmm. of this year. And, and then, of course. Well, and and... Then oh god, you got more. And then um, there is a um, a production of a piece called Ori, which is built by Corey Harnett and uh, and her collaborator Bruno, whose last name totally escapes me at the moment. Um, and Ori is a multidisciplinary art installation dance theater piece mm -hmm. that I've been doing a little bit of dramaturgy for, and it is. Um, it's sort of the story of Ori's quest to find her own, um, like, the place that she can be at home, mm. um, both geographically and sort of culturally mm -hmm. at home. Um, so you are a director, you're a dramaturg, but then, then she's a playwright and actor, actor. starring in Persistent Theatre Company's premiere production of their second season, Original, original. playing at the LSPU Hall. I'm so excited to see original. I know! Oh, it's the story of uh, the th th of three of the original women, Pandora, Eve, and Embla, all performed by Sharon. <laughs> it is an absolutely incredible uh, show. I'm very very excited that that we were able to produce it. It's directed by Bernie Stapleton. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and uh, it's <laughs> another alumnus of this podcast. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. gonna be. Phenomenal. I was expecting you to say it's going to be lit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm spending too much time amongst the youth. Lit? It's going to be lit. It is going to be lit. It's going to be lit. Somebody used the term clutch the other day. Did you know what clutch? Clutch apparently is like a necessary item. Yes. So, like, yeah, so having much. tickets to original is totes clutch. It's totes clutch. And you know why? Because it's going to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> Here, 
I think I think it's safe to say we're all women of a certain age. It's who probably should not be saying it it's a lit or clutch. We, we, we apologize. Can do what we want. We That's got the right. mic. No. Youth yeah. of 2018. We're sorry. We're so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, you can understand when you hear this why it took me so long to book a time when Jan <laughs> and Sharon could both sit down and do this podcast because they are very busy women. Before we wrap up. Are there any books that either of you wanted to talk about, books or authors, that we didn't get to? Anyone that's like, oh, I didn't get to say this or that? I read uh, the Poisonwood Bible. Oh, um, King Yeah. So it was, I mean, it's, to say that I completely enjoyed it would be false advertising, mm-hmm. but I think it's the most important book I've read in quite some time. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I just wanted to plug it. It's, uh, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of those books that is written from various perspectives. So mm-hmm. every uh, chapter starts with the name of the character mm-hmm. that you're going yeah. to see. Um, one of them uh, has... A, quite a severe disability and her chapters are my favorite um, she she has a language where she sort of reads everything backwards and so every now and then there are like just backwards phrases that you have to decipher and things and wow. I, yeah that's uh, that I read that years yeah. ago but it was another one that that had a really big impact on me totally too, for sure and it yeah. deals with I mean race and colonialism mm-hmm. and Religion. faith and yeah. loss of faith and yeah. patriarchy mm-hmm. and uh, and it it is the story of we never see the man's perspective. It's yeah. the five women, mm-hmm. or five girls, um, telling the story of being in the Congo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing book. It really is. Yeah, really good. Any for you, Jen, that we didn't touch on, or did we hit on? Well, absolutely. I'm going to mention the book I am most looking forward to oh, reading good. because it was good, just good. published. Um by an author named Brian Dion, ah. who just happens to be my brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he wrote a story called Big Ledge, which is about a guy named Sproul, who he came to the Kootenays. My brother lives in Nelson, B.C. Okay. He came to the Kootenays, and he actually discovered the the mining, the kind of, the I think it was gold prospecting there. Mm-hmm. But somebody came and kind of took it out from under him, and, like, Sproul, like, ended up having this kind of descent, and it's a really beautiful story. But there's also some supernatural elements into how Brian has written it, too. So it's, it, I think it's all in our... Ballywick of uh-huh. greatly researched historical fiction, but with an element of the other world. Oh, wow. So I am really looking forward to reading that. that uh, it's called Big Ledge. Big Ledge. And okay. uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, we'll, I'll get you a link to yes, it because be it's, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, they don't have a lot of publishers in BC. Like, you know how we yeah. have, <clears throat> I think I talked about, well, I must have talked about it with Brian, but not you, but we have Breakwater and we have Boulder and we yeah. have like, uh, flanker. Yeah. We have a good selection of publishers who value telling regional stories. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right? In yes, uh, BC, in its entirety, has three publishers. Really? So, as a result, regional stories, like mm-hmm. this one is set right in the Kootenays, right? Yeah. Um, are, don't, like, the value, so Brian ended up self-publishing. So, oh, he's okay. actually made, 
you know, he's having a book launch coming uh-huh. soon. But I mean, it's going to do gangbusters, yeah. you know, like because, you know, oh, here's a story set here yeah. in this beautiful land that I'm visiting or love or mm-hmm. feel deeply about. So, uh, so yeah, I think uh, it may reflect on how blessed we are. That's real for sure. We yeah, to have uh, publishers here who really value the uh, the local story. Yeah, we have a wonderful local publishing scene. And uh, as a writer, that's certainly something I'm always grateful for. But definitely, yeah, send me a link to your brother's book. And Absolutely. And I will uh, include it on the blog. With Perfect. This. Thank yeah, you. sweet. Yeah. Well, this has been terrific. Um, I can hardly keep up with all the books you've recommended, but it's been a great conversation. It has been both lit and clutch, I think. All yes, right. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and looking forward to all the things you guys have coming up. Trudy, thank, you, thank you. This thank was a you. lot of fun. This is great. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sharon King Campbell and Jen Dion. As you heard from our conversation there, both of these uh, women have a lot of things coming up in the theater world over the next few months, and I hope you get a chance to uh, see them either on stage or behind the scenes. And I also hope that if you want to check out any of the books we talked about, you'll go to my website, treatmorgancole.com, click on the Shelf Esteem link, and there you'll find a list of all the books we talked about on this episode. I'll be back in a couple more weeks with some more great conversation and really interesting guests. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.